What's happening, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. This is the Building Buchanan Podcast, a platform for sharing the stories of visionaries that are helping move social change forward here and across the nation. On this podcast, we will explore the possibilities and as we get the scoop from pioneers in inclusion, community building, making the world a better place. And now, here's your host, Colette Conchola-Cox. Hi, everyone. It's your host, Colette Cox, and you're joining me on the Building Buchanan Podcast. Today we have a special guest. It's a St. Joseph native, Brian Myers. He was once kicked out of Savannah High School in 1996. He went on to have a career in optical retail management and later financial management while raising his son, Torin. Brian was also enrolled at Missouri Western University at this time, and he later graduated with a BS in marketing management from WGU. Tired of the daily grind, Brian and his wife, Amy, began opening and operating small businesses in St. Joseph's of Missouri in 2012. They currently own a vintage clothing store named the Lucky Tiger, a combination bookstore bar called the Tiger's Den, and the newly opened event venue, Metropolitan. Brian has been involved with the St. Joseph community on multiple levels. He and Amy co-founded First Saturdays Downtown, also now known as Downtown First, and he has and have been co-recipients of the Mayor's Award for Arts. Brian has served on numerous boards and commissions, including the Missouri Western State University Arts Foundation, the St. Joseph Public Library Foundation Trust Board, has served as a past president of Downtown First and the Downtown Economic Stimulus Board. Currently, Brian is serving his first term as city councilman at large for the city of St. Joseph. Everyone, please welcome Brian, and we're going to get into it. So in your bio, Brian, you talked about your Savannah school teachers that, would you say they kicked you out of school or oh, yeah. expelled you or said? It was administration. Yeah, I got, uh, I got tossed out of high school about halfway through my senior year. So uh, whoever, uh, if you ever hear an adult say those are the best years of your life, uh, uh, they're either lying or they peaked at 17. So um, but I had all my credits. Um, it wasn't that I was a, a poor student, uh, at least academically, I wasn't a poor student. Uh, I took summer courses at Missouri Western uh, between my uh, junior and senior year. And uh, truth be told, I had uh, one class that I needed my senior year to get my basic diploma, and that was uh, an English class. And I had offered, hey, I'll just take an English uh, level or a college level English class at uh, Missouri Western and just let me get out of here uh, before my senior year starts. I'll have all my credits and uh, they refused. And uh, well, let's just say the first uh, six months of my senior year were pretty interesting, interesting and interesting enough for them that they asked me not to come back. <laughs> so, but they had to give me my diploma because I earned all my credits. So uh, it was a good way to, I guess, kind of cheat the system and, and uh, kind of move on with the adult life that I wanted. Yeah. So you more so were just a pain until they, they let you go or. Oh, yeah. I could, I could tell stories not suitable for your podcast of things that I did when I was uh, 16, 17 uh, at that high school. So. That's funny. I was also not <laughs> the most, um, believe it or not, I was also not the most uh, responsible um, teenager. Um, I don't know how my parents made it through. I mean, I wasn't probably the worst, but um, I definitely wasn't um, 
making all the best choices. And I, sure. I joke about it in some of my presentations now, and it usually does not go over that great. Um, it usually makes people uncomfortable, but I say quite regularly, and I should probably stop now that I'm kind of thinking about this, that if my parents were able to, they would have become my guardians because I made such terrible choices with money, um, with my decision-making, like, and I did that until I was about 23. Well, but in so you, my, you learned, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of talk about that dignity of risk sometimes because for people with disabilities, usually you turn 18, you immediately get a guardian that paperwork's already started for your 18th birthday. And I think if my mom would have known about that. She'd have tried to get it on me. I don't have a disability, but <laughs> I couldn't well, make choices. We're, we're all somewhere on, on uh, one spectrum or another, I think. And some of us have uh, better decision-making skills than others. And I was, uh, I think uh, I just made a series of choices between 17 and 18 that disappointed my parents in, in multiple ways. And uh, not to get too far into the weeds on it, but I had, uh, decided I want to enter the, uh, the military and went through the delayed entry program and then, you know, changed my mind before, uh, it was actually before I got kicked out of school. So there was no boot camp or anything like that. It was just the, the commitment that I was going to make, I ended up not making. And, uh, within a month of me getting kicked out of school, telling my dad, I didn't want to do the military and then announcing that I was going to, uh, uh, be a supervisor for a pony ride at a carnival for the next six months. Uh, I saw a combination of emotions in my father's face that I had not seen before and have not seen since then. And the only way I can describe it is a perfect cocktail of rage and severe disappointment. And uh, anyway, I, I ended up not doing the, uh, the pony ride at the carnival. I ended up going to Surrey Western and uh, boy, I, I think I, I dropped out of Missouri Western three times before I went back and um, finally got my, my uh, bachelor's degree. So uh, my uh, successes that I've had as an adult definitely weren't linear <laughs> um, and, and they weren't immediate like right after you get out of high school. It's, it's weird. I mean, the, the dialogue that is ongoing when you're growing up is, you know, you're going to graduate from high school, you're going to get a four-year degree, you're going to uh, get a good job and get married, have kids. And, um, I did all of those things. I just did them like way out of order. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, I think that that dialogue that we, um, you know, force, uh, high school kids, uh, to have, um, it's not the norm, but you kind of feel like the failure when you think it is, especially when you're, when you're early twenties. <laughs> so, yeah. but things, things worked out, you know, Thankfully, I you know, met some good people and made some good contacts along the way and had a little bit of luck and, and uh, I'd say hard work in certain areas. And uh, it's made me put a lot of that uh, bad stuff from high school in my rearview mirror. But I still look back and laugh on it. Yeah. I am not surprised to hear that you were wanting to work at a carnival. I was a little surprised <laughs> to learn that you thought you were like that you were going into the military. I've not, I didn't know you as a teenager. I've only known you as um, an adult. So um, I was just I was a little gonna, unexpected. 
It was, yeah, I mean, it is when I tell a lot of people that, you know, this was a mechanism I was going to use to pay for college, and um, it was just going to be, uh, you know, part-time, you know, guard, and my hat goes off to any, uh, any person that wants to join the service. I just decided it wasn't the route that I wanted to go, and uh, thankfully, uh, I made up my mind to not do it before I got on the bus to boot camp. Otherwise, I would have been stuck doing it. So, um, so yeah, it, it's uh, uh, it's it's been an interesting been been an interesting life <laughs> before and since. Yeah, I I think the part that I found it interesting is um, I see you as being the person who um, does not follow rules, um, not very compliant. Um, You'd so be correct. I, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not sure that would have been a good fit for you. I think you made a, I think you made the right decision. I think they might have done like your high school and asked you to maybe. Yeah, well, I, I, I left high school after when they asked me, you know, politely mm-hmm. to leave. I, I felt the institution no longer had anything to offer me, and, and they agreed. And here's your diploma, son, and, you know, make your mark on the world. And, uh and yeah, you know, I guess you know, in certain ways I did, but that's not to say that there weren't um, uh, individual teachers that I had in high school that I did not, re- you know, respect. As I mean, God knows there were two of them that uh, uh, I just absolutely admired all the way through high school and have become friends with as an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I hear that often. Um, there's always. Um not always, but a lot of people have a teacher who really um, maybe invested in them and took the extra time to, you know, work on those personal strengths and assets that someone has and kind of gets through some of the the tougher stuff. You know, we're not all always the easiest to love or to teach (laughs) or to be around all the time. You know, it's just, we all have some people that are willing to deal with uh, our stuff. I mean, I guess there's an occasional few people, usually not in my circle, uh, but I guess there's always a few occasional people that they're just hard not to love and they're always just great and easygoing, but majority of the people that I'm friends with um, can butt heads and are very opinionated and um, sometimes... You know, I'm I'm not instantly likable. I'm more of an acquired taste. You get, you know, maybe you don't like it, but you get used to it over time. <laughs> so, but sometimes, especially when you're younger and you know your your brain is still developing and you're getting used to you know all the weird things that the hormones do to your to your body and to your uh, uh, and to your your sense of self. It's refreshing that you know even if you have parents that are extremely supportive. It's um, it's a real asset to have someone outside of your family um, show you the kind of attention and uh, and love and support that uh, that you know educators will, will so often do. And I I'm not a teacher, uh, wouldn't have the patience to be, but um, I, I think it's it's extremely easy for people in that role to tend to ignore some of the problem kids because there are so many others that are just easier to take under their wing and, and uh, pay attention to. But, you know, you have somebody like me that, I mean, I was, I was an honor student. I was, I made always a handful of B's all the way through school. Uh, I was national honor society, uh, debate team, quiz bowl team. Um, But I was a real pain in the ass. 
and uh, and and I had perfect attendance for several years, so they had to put up with me every day. But I think I definitely would have turned out uh, worse for wear had I not had uh, uh, Mike Pittman or or Bill Luce. He was a history teacher I had for a couple of years. That yeah, they really uh, set me straight on a lot of things, and I didn't always like everything that they told me uh, about myself, but at the time, but, you know, looking back, I mean, they definitely formed me into, into the person I like, and, you know, for better, or for worse, I, I, I like, you know, who I've become at this point, and, I, and I, I owe that a lot to them. So while you've been talking, I've been kind of thinking, you know, you're kind of talking, you've kind of mentioned like some of your helpers along the way. I don't know why, when I do this podcast, I always refer back to like Mr. Rogers, and I don't know why, but so I have to ask, do you consider yourself a helper? Uh, I mean, in, in certain respects, uh, I, I think there are times that I, you know, do, you do help people and do enjoy doing it. Um, you know, an example, I mean, I've had a business downtown uh, a re- on the retail side uh, for eight years. And um, anytime someone, I hear someone that's wanting to open a business or is considering opening a business, uh, really anywhere, but especially in our downtown, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll break my back to, uh, help somebody, uh, every bit of the way, uh, to get them open and, uh, and continue to help them and support them after they're open. I mean, there's a lot of resources out there. Uh, a lot of people don't know about when they get to, uh, opening business and there's a lot of a lot of legal steps that people have to take that I've been through multiple times with multiple businesses so um, there, th- there are things that I wish people would have walked me through um, when I opened a business so when I hear of other people wanting to do that I want to be that resource and I guess to you know really simplify it in uh, you know PBS terms I'm sure I mean I, I could consider myself a helper in, in that regard. What about, I do definitely think you're a helper in that regard. So I'm going to ask you kind of a loaded question. That's, oh, those are the best time. So this podcast is, yeah, and it's being recorded. If it's too bad, we'll have, (laughs) we'll have, we'll have them edited out. Hey, you know what? They don't get to edit my mouthiness at a city council meeting. So it's only fair that you wouldn't edit things out of my interviews. Okay. Okay, well, we won't edit this one, then we'll let it go. Um, So we named this Building Buchanan, the podcast, and I've been finding people who I know of um, that I think have, are, I don't want to say it like it's a negative thing, but like an ordinary person, just a person who lives here, who saw a problem or felt like something could be better, rolled their sleeves up and started making it happen. Um, I remember you used to do big brothers and big sisters. So you've always kind of been, you've always kind of been community minded and giving back when you can. Um, I remember that you and Amy started um, first Saturdays. Yes. That's become downtown first. Um, But yeah, yeah. My wife and I started that seven and a half years ago. So I know that you've always tried to kind of not only just like do what you felt was right, but build a community when you do it. Um, it I remember when you and Amy were starting for Saturdays, it was about downtown. It was about the city as a whole. It was about bringing tourism, giving people something to do. Um, 
because we don't have a whole lot. I mean, it's gotten a lot better since seven and a half years ago, but kind of giving people that space to connect with each other. And um, what are some things that you would like to see happen in the future? And you know, the, the one thing that I'm very passionate about, but uh, honestly, my my hands are tied on a lot of it because, uh, because of, well, for several reasons, you know, which I can get into, but this city is never going to get any better than what it is. And you can take that however you want it. If you're fine with the way St. Joseph is, then this conversation is not for you, but um, we are never going to move the needle forward unless we do something about uh, the severe mental health issues we have in St. Joseph and the, uh, the drug problem that we have in St. Joseph. And there are different schools of thought out there that those two things uh, might be one and the same, they might be mutually exclusive. Um, but for sake of this conversation, we have two problems. We've got um, a mental health care system that is broken, and we have the uh, uh, drug issues that I would say are, you know, statistically are above the state average. Um, you'll have people say, well, crime is our problem, poverty is our problem. It's like, you know, crime, bad crime rates and high poverty rates, which in Buchanan County, uh, as an aside, the uh, poverty rate for individuals under the age of 18 is uh, almost 30%. That's a big problem. That is way more than the state average. It's more than the national average. Um, but back to my point, crime and uh, high poverty rates are symptoms of a bigger problem. And in this community, those problems are drug addiction and it's uh, untreated uh, mental illness. Um, I don't know what the solutions are. I'm not gonna blow smoke up anyone's ass saying that I know how to solve these problems because I don't. What I do know is not enough people are talking about these two things. And until we get the right people having these discussions, then we're not going to have a mechanism in place to take care of these problems. And you know, we didn't get to where we are overnight. Um, you know, if you want to go back the history of why I think we've got a mental health problem in this community, I mean, we can do that on another podcast. But the, the point is, we've got these problems now. It is, there's not going to be a quick fix. Um, we need to uh, have a long-term uh, strategy with uh, short-term goals. Uh, just like you do with any other large problem. You, you bite it off uh, one chunk at a time. Um, short term, and God, talking about this um, in the middle of a pandemic when our sales tax rates are down probably uh, makes it seem even more pie in the sky. But we need, yeah. we need a detox center in this community. We, we uh, do not have one at our jail anymore. Our uh, emergency room at Mosaic uh, is our detox center. Um, and that costs the hospital money, which it's a community hospital, so it costs all of us uh, more money. Um, we're giving ambulance rides to uh, people that have drug addiction issues and mental health issues at $5,500 a pop. Um, those ambulance rides aren't free either. I mean, they do take their toll on the community. And until we get serious about having a detox center, and about how to do proper inpatient mental health care, uh, not just in this community, but in this country. Um, we're not going to move the needle much on uh, any of those issues that I discussed. And a lot of people don't, people get really uncomfortable when I talk about this publicly uh, because 
no one wants to do anything about it. And when you put um, an elected official, whether it's, uh, you know, on television or on the radio or on a podcast, and they're talking about something negative that they don't have the, the solution to, it makes people really uncomfortable. Well, that's fine. We need to make everybody really freaking uncomfortable because until people start looking at this and taking it seriously and we get the right heads around the table, uh, this community is not going to get any better than what it is right now. I agree that we have serious, we have some serious lack of service issues in our county or in our city. Well, we always call it by county, but most people call it the city. Right. Um, we have major gaps in services um, for developmental disabilities, for mental health, for um, drug addiction. Um, I remember I was talking with an agency here in town, which I will be nice and I won't say their name, but they provide mental health services. And that's what they were saying that there's a special like key guide or something. I don't remember what they call it, Herc's tool or something. And so somehow, even though they've got these massive wait lists and they can't get people in and they can't provide care and there's no uh, really, they felt like solutions right now available to them that'll work. But when they try to get more funding, it's that they say, no, you have, you have way too much mental health. <laughs> you have way, you have way adequate mental health in the area. And they're like, are you serious? We have wait lists that are like nine months long. People can't get in here. Um, how? In what world is that adequate care? It's and not. Also you're right. It's not adequate care. Um, and the reality is, if someone needs <clears throat> mental health care and they have to wait a month, let alone nine, um, as a species, many of us tend to self-medicate, which is why. Um, if someone has a mental health issue, they're so many times more likely to develop a drug or alcohol dependency. It's, it sucks. It's a horrible place to be in. And I don't think that I, there are some agencies in this community that um, provide um, long-term strategies for uh, people that they're servicing. But by and large, most of what we do are putting band-aids on problems. We're, we're coming up with extremely short-term solutions for something we need to be getting a better grasp on. I'm a big proponent that we have an open-door food kitchen because we need to be able to feed people that uh, are going to go hungry. I'm a big proponent of Second Harvest uh, being able to do the same thing, like you know, setting up a, a, a place for, the, for people that are low-income or homeless to be able to, uh, to get food uh, on site. But those aren't solving any long-term problems. They're Band-Aids. We need to, as a community, figure out why these people uh, are, are poor, why these people um, are addicted to something, the ones that, that have addiction issues, um, why they, uh, they have mental health problems that are going unchecked. Because if you don't get to the root of those things, then you're not going to be able to solve the, the poverty problem overall. Poverty is a symptom. Uh, it's, it's not a cause. I agree with you. Um, I know that that's one thing that we, that I think that's why our program is catching the attention it is uh, for DD, um, which is because we are looking at taking all that data and spreading it across everywhere and strategic planning and looking for themes of why are these people in crisis? 
let's not just get them out of the crisis. Let's, I mean, we are getting them out of the crisis, but we're also digging down deeper of how did they end up here? What do they need to not be here again? Do they need training? Do they need uh, education? Do they need a service that they could have qualified for but didn't know how to fill out the paperwork? W weren't able to get it done, so are they utilizing everything they can? Um, and I think that happens across a lot of different uh, areas. And I think it's important to talk about how some people don't want to talk about these difficult topics because they, it does, they, think, they think it doesn't affect them. They think it's not their problem. But overall, everyone, we should care about everyone around us, our whole city, our whole community, um, having what they need, um, their, their basic needs met. I mean, we're in the long and short, just really trying to figure out how to meet their basic needs uh, to survive. I mean, I having agree. healthcare, like having your mental health um, access to that care. And we're not meeting, I think sometimes get confused even to, I mean, it doesn't make a difference to me, but some people get confused and they, they think access means necessarily always free, always walk in. Yeah, that's great, but I don't think they realize people don't even have access if they have insurance and money to pay for it. They still can't access it. I, I think it, it's important for people to understand, and it, it, just my opinion, but mm -hmm. if basic needs are not met, then they will be seized. Or they will, at the very least, uh, basic needs will be substituted with whatever someone can get their hands on at the time. And sometimes that's a controlled substance. Sometimes it's uh, something, you know, it's alcohol. Um, you know, it is, and I know there's this uh, extremely conservative uh, mindset that some people have. It's like, well, their poverty is not my problem. I didn't cause it. Um, they just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and be a productive member of society. And, you know, in, they're right about half of that. It's not their fault that, uh, someone is impoverished usually. Um, but they're wrong in that. And to, to further your point, they are impacted by it because, uh, it is so much and statistics show this. It is so much more cost effective to feed, clothe, educate, and rehabilitate someone, uh, out of poverty, uh, out of the cycle of abuse, if they're involved in that, than it is to just ignore the problem. And I'm not saying throw copious amounts of money. Uh, it needs to be regulated. It needs to be regimented. Uh, it needs, again, to have a, a long-term strategy uh, as a community and with individuals with short-term uh, identifiable and achievable goals along the way. But it is still better to do that than, even though it is expensive, than it is to just ignore the problem. Yeah. You made me think of something when you said, uh, you know, that some people have the attitude that they should pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And I saw a snippet quote from a man um, a while back and his response to that is, I've never had a pair of boots. You know, he I grew up in the, he grew up in this I generational poverty, <laughs> mental health. His life was always chaos. He never had a pair of boots. He doesn't know how to function properly because he's never, been in a healthy environment with the things that he needed. 
people will say that about the homeless community in particular without really, and I'm not a, an expert on, on homelessness by any means, but I do, know, I do know enough that people are homeless for different reasons. I mean, you have people that are you know, homeless by choice. They, they like to be transient. We've always had people like that. Uh, the majority of people that are homeless, I mean, it's temporary. It's because, you know, they were always kind of teetering and living paycheck to paycheck, and they've had an incident, you know, someone losing a job, uh, death of a breadwinner, uh, uh, a relationship that's ended. And, and then you have people that uh, are homeless and spend their lives in and out of shelters because they have uh, mental health and, and drug dependency issues. You said something that sparked something in my mind, but I now I've lost it. So was it about the pony ride? Because that was going to no. be a sweet deal. That was <laughs> no. going to be a sweet deal. This was 1996. They're going to pay me $250 a week. Uh, plus, they're going to feed me. The only expense I was going to have was uh, cigarettes and booze. Everything else they were going to take care of. And because of that book that my dad gave me, I abandoned that idea. So what do you have coming up right now? Is there something that we can support you? Is there something you want us to check out, learn to learn well, more about? I, you know, right now we just got done with, with city budgets, um, which you know, again, we, we had to, we had to do some, some cuts uh, again this year because of sales tax revenue being down uh, between that and um, me being active with, with trying to communicate everything to the public about uh, the pandemic and the shelter in place order. I mean, I haven't, uh, all three of the businesses my wife and I uh, own together uh, are uh, shuttered uh, by the order. And that's not a complaint that it needed to happen, but um, every, every ounce of energy I have um, is uh, going into to my role as a city councilman at this moment. Um, there are, uh, aside from that, um, there are scores of local businesses that are still open that, uh, I would implore anyone listening to, uh, uh, give them patronage, whether it's a restaurant that's doing curbside that you might be able to, um, to, to do that a couple of days a week, different bars are doing, uh, you know, if, if you do drink alcohol, um, you know, different bars are doing curbside pickup for beer and, uh, for mixed drinks. Um, you can buy gift certificates from the retail stores that aren't allowed to be open for a future visit. Uh, it would be very Pollyanna of me to say, uh, we're all going to get through this together. Uh, we're not, there are going to be some casualties, uh, business wise because of this. Now there are steps that we can take as, as individual business owners and, uh, as a community as a whole to uh, mitigate our damage here. And the way to do that is, you know, find your favorite local businesses and reach out to them and ask them, you know, hey, how, how can we, you know, we love your contribution to uh, uh, the district that you're in or to the community as a whole. How can we support you in this? Um, I can speak to how someone could support my own business, but everyone else's business has unique needs and are in uh, different situations than my own. So, you know, I would just ask all of your listeners to reach out to, uh, uh, the places that you appreciate that are locally owned and uh, figure out a way to support them. Well, well, thanks for chatting with us and kind of sharing your experiences and your views on things. Um, I always 
I always uh, like hearing your point of view. Well, I always, how always we can enjoy, do better. Always enjoy talking to you. So, um, you know, any any time, uh, yeah, you want me back on, or if any of your listeners have any questions or anything, uh, you know, my uh, my inbox uh, is always open to members of the, of the community. So, thanks for tuning in and listening to us rant about things that we wish were better. Yes, things that we wish were better. That's what you should name this this episode. Things that we wish. Okay, I haven't. Ha- I didn't have a name yet. So yeah, we'll call it things. I, I was uh, alternately. You call it Brian's uh, Miss Pony Ride, but you know that's. That so we'll, t- we'll put them t- on the list. Brian's <laughs> Miss Pony Ride. <laughs> it's your call. And, um, what was the other one we just said? Things we wish were better. Things we wish were better. That's how my, that's my pandemic memory, guys. I have like 10 seconds. Okay. Well, thanks for chatting with me. Hey, Um, thanks for having me. All right. Bye. Talk to you soon. Progressive Community Services is providing this podcast as a public service. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by PCS. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by PCS employees are are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of PCS or any of its officials. This podcast is not intended to be used for medical advice. Consult your own medical professional for such advice.